0: Ideate constantly, right? Uh, plan consistently, innovate regularly, and persevere relentlessly. So I, I just you know picked up this and I I have it written down. I, I can send you a picture, and I, I followed this maxim, and it has really worked for me. If you're able to ideate constantly, if you're able to plan consistently, if you're able to innovate uh, regularly and uh, execute. Uh, That uh, works brilliantly. And I I think this is something that is applicable uh, irrespective of the context for anyone. You are listening to the Payal Nanjiani Leadership Podcast, the number one podcast in the world for leaders who want to be the best. Each episode is designed to help you recognize and overcome your leadership challenges and achieve great success at your work. This episode is brought to you by your host, Payal Nanjiani, a world-renowned leadership expert, executive coach, and author known for her leadership talks, corporate training, and executive coaching. To know more about Payal, visit her website, www.payalnanjiani.com. Welcome
1: to the Payal Nanjiani Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Payal Nanjiani, and I am super delighted to introduce our guest on today's podcast, It's none other than Subin Balakrishnan. Now, let me just pull out his, uh, his uh, introduction and let you all know about him. So Subin is the Senior Vice President, Chief of Security and Vigilance at Reliance Industries and a former Special Forces Officer of the Indian Army. Subin has had a distinguished career in the Indian Army. Through the early years, he was responsible for planning and leading high-risk intelligence-led combat special operations in diverse theaters such as the jungles of Northeast and along the line of control in Kashmir. The teams he led and trained have gone on to lead classic surgical strikes across the border. After hanging up his combat boots into 2012, Subin joined the leadership team at Reliance Industries Limited in a strategic role and is conducting special operations in the corporate world. Wow, this is such an impressive uh, uh, bio, Subin. Thank you so much for being here and for joining us to talk about the leadership in a VUCA world. Welcome to this episode, Subin. (laughs)
0: Thank you very much, Kyle. Uh, it's very kind of you. Um, I Ever since we connected, I've been following you. You've been doing some great work yourself. And I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a complete privilege to be uh, hosted on your show. And I look forward to this conversation. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. And I'm sure our our audience is going to really benefit so much from you bringing not only the experience of the corporate world, but even from the military world. So uh, just tell us a little bit of your backstory. Like, how did you even get into um, into this uh, military and into being in the special forces? What really motivated you to get there?
0: Right. Uh, Let me see where I can start. Uh uh, as you would know, I, I am an alumni of the National Defense Academy in Pune mm-hmm. and uh, thereafter the Indian Military Academy. And I was commissioned into the Indian Army, uh, into the Maratha Light Infantry Regiment, which is, uh, which is an infantry regiment of the Indian Army, one of the finest regiments. Okay. With about five years of service, I, I volunteered for the Special Forces. Um, I, I went through uh, a grueling 90-day probation period, which is... Uh, the mandatory selection process uh, within the Special Forces, and uh, thereafter, I, I joined uh, an SF unit. Uh, through my service career, I operated uh, extensively along the Northeast and in Kashmir and went on to command uh, a specialist uh, a counter-terror outfit in Kashmir uh, from 2007 to 2009. Uh, having commanded my unit, I, I decided to hang up my uniform and stepped out into Civi Street, like you mentioned, in 2012. And uh, ever since I've been working in the in the corporate world in various roles, that's that's my little backstory.
1: Wow! So so, how has this transition been like from the military world into the corporate world? Uh, you know, what what are some of the uh, things that you found different, or you learned some you know lessons from the military world into the corporate world, or, or was it any different, or am I just thinking it's different?
0: Oh, it, it, it's a question that I get. Asked a lot actually. Uh, transitions are always tricky and, and uh, whether it's from the military to the corporate world or within the corporate world from one domain to the other, uh, always transitions come across as a little bit of a tricky business. I think uh, primarily there are, there are these stereotypes that exist on both sides of the divide, especially when you're making this transition from the military world into the corporate world and which needed to be handled with a little bit of dexterity. Uh, thankfully, in my case, I think I eased into that slipstream uh, and I've been able to negotiate uh, the turbulence fairly decently. Okay. I, if I were to look back, I think it uh, boils down to the mental and the physiological, psychological uh, preparation and reorientation. Uh, I think that's what uh, one requires to do before one takes a plunge. I say this because I tried and did it and it has clearly worked for me. I must make a mention about luck. I think luck certainly does play a part. But then again, as I've argued on many different articles that I've written, talks that I've given, I believe that one can engineer one's luck. In fact, I've done a TEDx talk on this particular topic. Broadly, I think the principles of leadership remain the same. The context may change, but the principles remain the same. And I think if you're prepared to put in the effort – uh, and make the necessary adjustments to operate in a changed paradigm. I, I think one can make the transition pretty smoothly.
1: Wow! So, Suman, so well, how do you engineer luck? And this is the first time I've really heard that—that uh, that, you know you can engineer luck. How does that happen?
0: Well, uh, it, it's all context, right? Uh, uh, do you follow cricket? I, I don't know if you follow cricket. Uh,
1: I do know, uh, I do know uh, bits and parts of it.
0: All right. Okay, there was this very famous incident that happened uh, on the cricket field when uh, Amazonia, I think it was the 2011 uh, uh, World Championship Series or uh, one of them, where he just tossed the ball to uh, a bowler who was getting smashed for runs, right? And uh, uh, I think there was a collective groan that went through... The Indian viewership uh, watching that match saying that this is a guy who's been beaten around. Why? Why are you chucking the ball to him? And uh, he he just played with that luck. He he took the risk of making that uh, little gamble, right? Because that's not what everyone expected someone to be doing, the captain to be doing. And I think that just turned the tide. Uh, you know that one over. It just turned the tide completely in terms of uh, uh, the, the outcome of the match. So, what started off at the beginning of that over as a collective groan from the entire Indian uh, viewership changed into, uh, into bouquets. The brick bats oh changed God. into bouquets uh-huh. at the end of the over. And that's what he, he just was needling his luck. Okay. There was a gut feel, he wanted to do something that uh, one would not expect to be done. <laughs> and he went with his gut feel and he actually swept the luck around. He he just wow. turned it around.
1: Wow. Okay. So, yeah, because that was the first time I heard that. And I said, this is so interesting. Now, uh, in the in the um, initial conversation, you mentioned uh, that you are, I was reading a bio and it said, uh, a former special forces officer. And I always thought special forces, military is all together. Uh, is there any difference between uh, someone from the military army versus you tell yourself special forces? What's the difference like?
0: Right, um, um, the Indian special forces—it it used to be called the para commandos at one point in time.
1: Okay,
0: it's uh, equivalent of the Green Berets or the SEALs of the of the U.S. Um, military and uh, the British uh, SAS. Uh, these are terms that. Uh, uh, your viewers would probably be able to relate to you know, people from the from the U.S. and uh, the Western world. Uh, the Indian Special Forces are the, the equivalent of these outfits. So as opposed to regular infantry units, uh, which operate as cohesive large units uh, and subunits and uh, operate in the forefront of the battlefield, the Special Forces are organized, equipped, and trained uh, for special operations behind the enemy lines. So basically, they are are parachuted in or they are inserted in uh, behind enemy lines and uh, where they they undertake high-risk, high-impact operations, both covert and overt. Uh, And and that's that's the kind of stuff that they do. Uh, So therefore, given the nature of these operations, uh, the Special Forces are manned exclusively by volunteers. Uh, the selection process into the SF is, of course, very tightly uh, measured. Uh, it's a stringent and excruciating 90-day probation period, which I which I alluded to uh, slightly earlier in the in the talk, where the volunteers are are then tested for certain attributes that indicate uh, a possible underlying um, aptitude and attitude that are essential not only for surviving in that environment but also executing tasks under very, very adversarial uh, conditions. Uh, of course, as you go forward, these are then embellished uh, with the training on special, specific uh, skill sets that support these operations that they need to execute. So uh, in, in summary, when you think of special forces, think small team operating in, a, in an intensely and adversarial environment in high-risk operations, of strategic nature. I think that's the that's summary of what the Special Forces is all about.
1: Okay, so definitely it's more tougher to get into the Special Forces like you mentioned.
0: Absolutely, yes. In fact, uh, the, the SF has got uh, uh, a pass percentage or a selection percentage of probably close to about two to three percent. So, for every 100 mm-hmm. guys that uh, are that off, it's about two or three guys that uh, get in.
1: Okay. Wow. So that means you have done the tougher part of it. Wow. Okay. And and now at Reliance also you are into strategic roles. You are doing a lot of leadership uh, work here. What 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 is it? How do you find leadership in the corporate world differ from leadership in the um, in the military? Well, now that I, uh, you have seen both, you know you you've you worked in in both arenas.
0: Yeah. I, I think uh, like I was mentioning right. Uh, Leadership. It's my belief that leadership is all about dealing with people uh, and with common sense. So, as long as you have this basic tenets clear—that you are dealing with people and you need to use common sense—if uh, this fundamental premise uh, uh, is kept static, whatever the context, it, it, whether the military context or the corporate world, I think the the the, the uh, way you handle this would remain the same. Uh, you know, I when I was making this transition from the uh, from the military world uh, to uh, the corporate world, uh, I think there were only two sets of interviews that I had gone with. Right. Oh. So the first set of interview that I had with this uh, corporate entity, I'm not taking any names, uh, it finally resulted in my interaction with their uh, uh, MD, and that was just supposed to be a, a kind of a. A cup of tea and, and pleasantries. That, that was what it was supposed to be. And uh, we had this conversation, so everything was done and dusted. You know the, the selection had already been made, so it, this was just a formality, and that's what I had been told as well. So we, I went in and met this gentleman, very fine gentleman. We had a conversation, had a cup of tea together, and uh, he said, uh, "Welcome to our outfit and all of that. And he said, "Subin, can I just leave one little advice with you??" I said, of course." So he says that, uh, listen, you were in the army and you, you did a fantastic job there. But just keep in mind that uh, in the army, you have stringent army rules to back you up. And uh, as an officer, if you give an order, that requires to be done and it is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you disobey a lawful command, uh, that could lead to court martial, Right. Right. and that's the security of thing. Uh, so that there is no question of anybody disobeying you or not following your uh, directions or orders or whatever else it is mm-hmm. but he said in the corporate world it operates differently and uh, uh, you just need to be aware of that you need to you know kind of take people along and you know uh, so you you might need to make that little adjustment he said i'm just giving you this advice because you're making this transition and i i listened to him and i i, I stayed quiet about it uh I think it must have been my, uh, well, he's a managing director of a, of a big company. So, uh, he, he does pick up these finer nuances. He observed me and he said, you don't quite agree with me, do you? So, I said, no, I, I have a difference of opinion. He said, please feel free to uh, express your opinion. And I told him, uh, you know, I think it, it's exactly the opposite. Whether it is the army or the corporate world, it's the same set of principles that apply. Mm-hmm. right so i told him i gave him uh, a simile he said in Cargill, when the Cargill operations the, the the war had taken place just imagine a scenario you you're standing at the base of that mountain and you have these 10 20 people with you you have an enemy picket mm-hmm. uh, on the top of that mountain and there is just one little uh, a track that will take you there and your task is to go capture that post now if i were to turn back and tell that guy listen hey 10 of you guys or 20 of you guys have to climb up that hill. There is a machine gun that's facing downwards and it is spewing fire. And you had to walk through that and go and capture that and tell them to go and do it. He will not do it or those people will not do it because their lives are on the line. They're going to get killed in the process. But he will go and do it because he knows that when I'm passing the order down to him, I will be the first guy walking up that, that hill. Uh, he knows that if we are to capture that, this captain saab or the major saab or the colonel saab, who's who's giving me these orders or giving me these directions, will go with me. In fact, will lead me into it. If any one of us is going to get hurt or get killed, it's going to be this bloke who's going to do it first. Mm. Okay, have that assurance. If I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to get killed, I am hundred percent sure. This gentleman will pull me out from there and take me back home, right? It is that assurance that that uh, uh, that that seals uh, that trust that actually seals that uh, uh, that bond, right? And that is why he's going to be doing it. He's not going to be doing it because there's an army rule which says that if he disobeys me, he's going to be court martial He doesn't care about court-martial when his life is on the line,
1: right?
0: Right. So it, it's that simple premise. And the moment I'm able to lift that premise and apply it in the corporate world, and say that I'm going to be taking care of these 10, 20 people with me, if some harm were to come their way, mm-hmm. I'm going to take that harm first. And when those set of people believe in me to be walking the talk, then the equations change. And I thought, you know, this was, uh, and he really appreciated that point of view, and he said, uh, I, I understand this, and. and Uh, Frankly, I think I've been able to make the transition because I believe in that set of fundamental uh, premises and I've been able to lift it and apply it with a little bit of modification in the corporate world.
1: So, so, Subin, do you think that this type of assurance is prevalent or is it absent in the corporate world? This assurance that you said that I know my leader will come, I know he or she will pull me out and I know he or she will be the first to cross that line. Do you think this is something highly prevalent or highly absent in our corporate world?
0: Well, if you were to take a look across the corporate world, and, and you know, none of these are the, the outcomes of such uh, interactions are never visible in, in months or uh, mm-hmm. you know, years. Probably, it'll take about a decade-plus for it to be actually fructifying. But if you look at success stories of how organizations thrive and prosper and grow— and the ones that start folding inwards if you were to look at it across a spectrum of let's say 10 15 20 years you will find that the quality of the leadership that was taking them through this process is what has actually made the difference it is not technology it is not uh, it is not uh, processes it is not systems it is just the quality of the people and the belief of the leadership that actually makes this change everything else are just uh, pieces that you can lift and paste right it's the quality of the leadership that defines the culture defines the the way forward defines the way the growth uh, of the organization happens and well that's my belief anyway
1: No, and I think you're just spot on because today, when we are speaking about this uh, this VUCA world, okay, uh, there is a lot of uncertainty. There is ambiguity. Everyone is like saying, "Hey, it's crazy out there," and especially with the pandemic in, everyone is feeling that. So, when you spoke about this assurance, and I think it is most needed in the world we are in right now. So. How has your experience in the in the special forces been in context to this VUCA world? Now that we are coming into this talk of uncertainty and assurance and everything, how has your experience been in the special forces uh, with relating to this VUCA world now?
0: Well, yeah, very very good question, actually. You know, um, so if you look at uh, uh, the corporate world, any entity or organization. Uh, they build projects, uh, or, or they undertake projects to build an enterprise, and that's how organizations grow. Right? It's small projects that that uh, move into larger projects, and the end state of each of these projects is to reach what they call a steady state, okay. right? So where it is business as usual and things are flowing normally. Uh, that's how the project kind of terminates, and and uh, the business is therefore. Running smoothly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: On the other hand, the, the basis of the VUCA environment is totally dynamic. It is just basic dynamism. There are a multitude of such moving parts that are constantly in motion. Nothing is static. And uh, in today's world, what happens is the interconnectedness is growing exponentially. And as this interconnectedness of the world enhances, the dynamism uh, in operating environments is only getting. More and more complex. And, and you heard about the, the butterfly effect, right? The chaos. Yes. chaos theory. When unconnected events uh, in, in distant domains, distant geographies, suddenly have a hugely disproportionate effect on the outcome of your business, it, it's all of this that is actually happening in the background. And yet, organizations are focused on steady state operations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the inherent uh, contradiction in terms here. Okay, I think, therefore, what organizations need uh, while they are operating on a steady-state basis is to have a small team of contrarian thinkers uh, within your entity who are actually constantly scanning the environment around, identifying uh, potential threats, and building the organizational capacity uh, and the redundancy to deal with them
1: okay
0: i think this is what will make that. and and you asked me the question about uh, about how special forces yes. uh, and uh, the experience uh, there builds into this uh so like i said special forces are are classically guys who are operating behind enemy lines let's just take a moment to to understand what this means this in effect means that a small team is parachuted or inserted uh, into uh Uh, places behind the enemy lines for a high-risk mission. This means, one, that the team is operating independently, right? It's operating in a completely, extremely hostile environment. It has got no possibility of physical, logistic, or or sustenance support from anywhere. They're they're out there by themselves. and The odds of success for such a team, and actually even their very survival, is very, very, very highly stacked against them. Okay. Which means okay. the full spectrum of VUCA. It is volatile. It is uncertain. It is complex. It's ambiguous. Right. Everything is going against you, and therefore, in when when you are leading such small teams, the capacity of the or the competence of the leadership to be making these split-second decisions quickly uh, by rote muscle memory, hmm. and executing them on the fly. In the absence of uh, oversight of directions uh, coming from elsewhere, I think that's what's the, the key. Okay. And Once you're able to, to get a hang of this, I think, like I mentioned earlier, this is a set of, uh, uh, of, of rules that can be picked up and applied in the corporate context as well.
1: Okay, but you you also mentioned now that, um, you know, we have to be prepared, like you said, that uh, it, it's an uncertain world, there's lots of ambiguity everywhere. So uh, in the military world, I've heard that there is uh, what you call it's necessary to be ready, just like you said now. So can one prepare oneself to be ready in such an environment like we are right now with so much of uncertainty and like we call it the VUCA world? So. Uh, how how do we do that how do we be ready what does it take to be ready is there any certain qualities needed by the leaders to prepare in their teams or how do we take that phrase of the military necessary to be ready and apply it in the corporate world now
0: uh, i think it might be a, a little bit of a too much of an ask to be expecting Anyone and everyone to be to be working in that kind of an environment because yeah. businesses don't work that way, right? Businesses yeah. have got to have got to have an output and have got to have uh, the the like I mentioned. The intent of every business is to achieve a a, a steady state where there mm-hmm. are no uh, massive disruptions, and yet disruptions are just around the corner. It could be technological disruption. It could be uh, uh, you know. Uh, force fit, man created disruptions, competitive uh, disruptions, and so on and so forth. And therefore, if you have this small little team that is focused on on these kind of uh, uh, activities, uh, putting in that contrarian thought, right? Trying to look at the same problem from from a completely different dimension, and being able to analyze the uh, the the hits and the misses. Mm-hmm. And uh, the issues that may come and the possible solutions to that. It requires investment in the, the the kind of resources that are required. It requires investment in terms of money and the bandwidth of the management to be, uh, to be actually sitting down and listening to them. There's no point hiring a set of guys who will do this and yeah. top management actually right. uh, is not interested, doesn't engage with them. So The the bandwidth for the top management to be actually sitting down with them in some periodicity, maybe once a quarter, once a a month, maybe asking for too much, but once a quarter, maybe even once a half a year, to sit down and listen to them and to be thinking this through. If if you have uh, an organization that has these uh, uh, processes that are built into it, It's a a natural outcome that uh, resilience within that organization actually builds. The the organization then becomes fit out for making adaptable changes quickly when the situation demands.
1: Okay. So so you have have actually uh, broken down this so well, Subin. However, what we are observing is that when it comes to the corporate world, uh, You know, we speak about these uncertainties, we speak about evolving, we speak about these complexities. Do you feel there are certain qualities a leader needs to build in him or herself to actually deal with all of this? Or does it come naturally? Uh, What types of qualities have you seen in your experience that leaders carry with them to deal with such uh, uncertainties and to be successful in a VUCA world?
0: i think fundamentally uh, pile it revolves around the capacity to be thinking constantly on how can i do this better mm-hmm. so if there is a if there is a system that has been built if there is a process that's been written down to achieve a certain end objective your focus as a leader has got to be all right if someone is is reading through that and executing this on the ground and things are working well mm-hmm. how do i do it in the event of a scarcity, if one of the resources or one of the key resources—financial, uh, technological, uh, a human resource—is going to be pulled out, if there is going to be a resource constraint, how am I going to be in a position to deliver the goods in that environment? Okay. What happens if the what-if scenario is what requires to be constantly drilled through? Okay. You know, and there is a there is a parallel or there is a simile to this uh, when, when we used to be operating. Uh, uh, in in high-risk missions. Constantly, the thought is: what happens if this happens? What happens if someone's going to be firing from a right? What happens if a mind were to go off there? What happens if we reach there and we don't find the target? So it's a constant exercise in your mind to be thinking of what-if scenarios. Okay. And the answers to these what-if scenarios, it, 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 it's a it's a it's the constant ability to be training your mind to be thinking, you know, constantly. Mm-hmm. And also the ability to be for you to be listening to contrarian thought. So if there is a if there is a method that you employ to get uh, results, is there somebody else who can who can think up a different methodology? It might be painful. It might not be uh, efficient to start off with, but it might be effective. Mm-hmm. And okay. if you have that, if you are able to make the distinction between it is not efficient right now, but it is effective and I can build in processes that can make it more efficient, I think you won the game.
1: I, I like what you said, that what if. That's putting us into the thinking mode, that, okay, what if we do this and this doesn't happen? So, um, uh, I, I, from what I am uh, taking this, Subin, is that when you ask this question, what if, in, in a scenario like these, it really puts you into a thinking zone, brainstorming instead of blamestorming. And uh, you are constantly taking actions because you're you're being, and I think that just puts us together there that you're always being prepared. Like we said in in the military, there is this phrase, you know, you've got to be prepared. So this is how you're creating a mindset. You are training your mind to be prepared and think of solutions ahead of time.
0: Right. So two, two aspects to it. One is to be resilient enough to be, to overcome a crisis if and when it presents. Mm-hmm. and secondly to preempt that okay. to ensure you have an option B or an option C which might not be the most efficient currently, mm-hmm. but it is something that you can develop uh, to work through when you have a resource constraint. Okay. right so when you, when you put both of these together you you have a steady state that is happening around. you have uh, a plan B and a plan C uh, which somebody can be working on in the background to improve efficiency. And then you have a, a set of processes for you to bounce back in case you hit a crisis and everything goes uh, topsy-turvy. So okay. I think broadly, each other, this is a spectrum that uh, one requires to uh, straddle.
1: Yes, yes. And uh, you know, I uh, what you said, it just reminded me, took me some years back when I was invited to do a leadership talk to a group of military forces, and I think this was in Virginia. And uh, one of the things I learned from them was their ability to be resourceful rather than depending on the resources. So it just, you know, what you said just took me back and I thought I would uh, share that. But, you know, just talking with you, Subin, I think that I, I would just keep having more and more questions But I know time is um, here to wrap up. So before we wrap up, I would like you to share what would be your advice to leaders who want to succeed in this VUCA world, who want to make sure that they succeed no matter what?
0: Well, (laughs) uh, Payal, I'm not too sure if I'm qualified or competent enough to be dishing out uh, advice for, for leaders, but I'll be happy to share what has worked for me. Sure. Right. and what has worked for me is simply uh, the ability to say what you will do, and then follow it up with doing what you actually said. If if this, in essence, you're able to replicate it, it's not simple at all. It was definitely not simple for me because there are competing influences, and uh, the the excitement to be following a shortcut. <laughs> all of these start creeping in. But if you, if you stay this path of communicating very precisely about what you intend to be doing and then doing exactly what you said you would do, it builds trust and it, it just bonds the organization together, the, the parts of the organization together. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has really worked for me. And, and I think I must leave one more uh, maxim that I kind of developed by myself and I follow it is what I call the IPIP maxim. Right, and What's IP IP stands for uh, ideate constantly, right? Uh, plan consistently, innovate regularly, and persevere relentlessly. So I, I just you know picked up this and I I have it written down. <laughs> I can send you a picture, and I followed this maxim, and it has really worked for me. If you're able to ideate constantly, if you're able to plan consistently, if you're able to innovate uh, regularly and uh, execute uh, that uh, works brilliantly and I, and i think this is something that is applicable irrespective of the context for anyone
1: wow that was that was superb i mean even the uh, yeah even as we are wrapping up you have given so much food for thought you are you're constantly making us think that okay this is how you go so thank you so much subin it's been such a privilege to have you here on the Payal nanjani leadership podcast i know how busy your day is at uh, at reliance so thank you so much for your time and sharing these wonderful nuggets not only just from the corporate world, but your experience in the special forces. And I think that really was an eye-opener to even me, uh, that you know there are so much things that we can learn and imbibe in our corporate world.
0: Thank you very much, Payal. Uh, always a pleasure to, uh, to converse with you. Uh, I think there are takeaways for me as well. Uh, and uh, look forward to engaging you with, uh, with you going forward as well.
1: Absolutely. It'll be my pleasure. And this is for all our listeners and our audience. Thank you so much for joining us at the Payal Nanjani Leadership Podcast. This is Subin Balakrishnan and Payal Nanjani signing off. God bless and wish you all unstoppable success.